1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, leave your Bible open for we will be around here for a while, a little, in a little while. <clears throat> Bless the Lord. I had to take my jacket off there. It was getting too warm. And the last time I got too warm, I thought I wasn't going to make it out the door. And it, was that, it was that warm. It was, so if you're warm, take off your jacket and make yourself comfortable. 1 Samuel 20, verse 1. And David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father that seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid that thou, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? Is it not so? And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. I know the Lord will bless the reading off his word. Let's just buy on a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for the greatly number, the goodly number that you've brought in tonight. In such a, a pleasant evening, Lord, where others could have went to do other things. You've brought these people here to hear your word, to worship you. So we ask you now, Lord, that you would settle us, settle our hearts, settle our minds, and we pray, Father, you'd settle us in your presence and even in our seats. That we, Lord, would have no distractions from the word of God tonight. So glorify the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I want to entitle us this evening, The Evil Javelin of the Gospel. The Evil Javelin of the Gospel. The last line of the verse that we read has David speaking to his tried, his best, and his trusted friend, Jonathan. And David says to Jonathan, there is but a step between me and death. Notice that. There is but a step between me and death. Something happened to David. This man, David, who had his whole life in front of him, a young man, something happened to his conscience. Something happened in his heart that he realized his own mortality. Maybe you'll remember when you were a young woman or a younger woman, or maybe you'll remember when you were a younger man that you would have done things that you wouldn't dream of doing today because you realize your mortality. You realize the dangers of it. And when you're younger, you don't think of it. You drive fast in cars when we shouldn't be, and you drive excessively to the point where if anything happened, you know, the dangers of it, the crash of it, you wouldn't come out of it. And things like that don't seem to enter into our mind. But as you get older, you start to think of these things. And strange how when your own children come up, you even look to your children and you tell them not to do the things that you once did. Here, there's something has happened to David. David's mind has been illuminated. 
Something drastic has happened that's changed his mind, his thinking, and his heart. And now he's before Jonathan, the son of Saul, the king in Israel. And he says, there is but a step between me and death. What happened? Well, before we go there, I want you to see that this mortality state of our own minds at times, especially when we're younger, it's a lie from the devil. It's a lie that we will live forever. That you and I think, well, it's always someone else that goes to the grave. That he leaves this scene of time. She leaves this place in life. It's always someone else. But little do we know that we don't really fully realize there is a step, but a step, between me and death. The first lie in the Bible, the first lie was from the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The first time we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 is the first sowing of the seed of doubt. Half God said. You see, half God said, does he really mean what he says? And does he say what he means? Half God said. Putting doubt into Eve's mind. You shall not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, God says. And Eve knows this. And the serpent comes, sows doubt. But the first lie is after that, in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 3. Eve says to him, the Lord says you'll die. I'm paraphrasing. The Lord says you will die if you eat of this tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the first lie is when the serpent turns to her and says, Ye, you Eve, ye shall not surely die. And so it's always in our own mentality and in the back of our mind that, yes, we know it. It'll come to us all should Jesus tarry. Yes, we know that we might have some 50 years, some one year, one maybe we'll have a next breath. We don't know. We're but a step. But we think something, and this is what we think. It's always another and not me. You see, the lie in the subconscious from the devil, that lie tells you, you know, it's never going to be you really. We never think it. We say we believe it, but really it doesn't ring true. We don't accept it. You shall not surely die, said the devil. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said to the Jewish leaders of his day, the Pharisees, John chapter 8 and verse 44. He said to them, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus said that about the serpent who was in the garden. Jesus said that about the devil himself. He says, listen, he can't tell you the truth. He is always completely a liar. I ask you something, answer it in your own heart. Answer it in your own mind. You don't need to shout out. You don't need to raise a hand. 
But be honest before you and God. What lie has the devil told you recently? What lie has the devil said to you and you have believed him? First of all, maybe there's someone here and you're not saved. You're not born again. You haven't made Jesus your own Lord and personal Savior. You see, the devil will come and he tells people who have had a terrible lifestyle. They've had broken lives and they've had broken marriages and they've had uh, broken families and, and all these things have happened. Or even people that has went afar has got themselves involved in the troubles and, and they say, you, you'll never be saved because what you have done, you can never be saved. You see, you're unsavable. To the, to the chiefest of sinners, he says, you're unsavable. You could never be forgiven. You see, he's a liar. Friend, he's a liar. The devil is a liar because there's always forgiveness for the repentant heart that comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a liar. He tells those who are feeling low in themselves, you know, you're never going to make it. You're hopeless and you're helpless. And there's, there's no future for you. And he whispers it in our ears, especially in the night watches when everyone else is sleeping and you're lying under the duvet with your eyes boring holes into your bedroom ceiling. And you toss and you turn. And the more you toss and turn, the more he realizes he gets a grip on you at night. And you're feeling all alone, even though whether you've got your husband or your wife lying beside you or not, you still feel alone. Because he's lying to you. You're hopeless. There is hope. Hope in Christ. You're helpless. Yeah, maybe in your own strength, but he is your help. You're comfortless. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus says that he is the comforter of all who call upon his name. Brothers and sisters and friends, this devil, he is a liar. He is the father of lies. He tells people who are religious. He tells people who are churchy, full of church. He tells people who are full of ceremony and ritual. And he tells them, you're all right as you are. You're okay as you sit at the moment. You don't need to realize your sin and repent and come to the cross by faith, asking for forgiveness, pleading for mercy to find grace. So you're okay, you see, because you're all right as you are. And he's a liar. He's a liar. The Lord Jesus says there is no truth in him. Brother and sister, friend, remember this. In your deepest and in your darkest moments, remember this. The devil is a liar. I see tonight, see tonight, there's bound to be one, at least one of you here. If it's not, it's usually me. But see when he comes at night and he tries to torture me, I say to him, you're just a liar. You're a liar. You're the father of lies. And there's no truth in you, Satan. If you want to know truth, then open his book 
If you want to know truth, what he says about you, Christian, believer, open the Word of God and proclaim the Word of God even to the devil. Give him your testimony of how Christ came into your life and where he found you and the Damascus road, as it were, experience that you had and the forgiveness of your sin being washed in the precious blood of Jesus. I can tell you he will soon turn and flee. He will run away and leave you. You don't even need to fight. The Bible says that we're just to resist him. Listen, but submit therefore yourselves unto God. That's your first thing. Submitting to God is the first thing we must do when he comes and he fills our lives and our heads full of lies, causes to worry, causes us anxiety, causes us to fear. He tried to get at me all week. Ah, you had a great turnout last week and it went well. You'll be empty on Sunday. I'll make sure of it. Something to tell you, devil, you're a liar. You're a liar. Next time he comes, do you let him know that? That you know that he is a liar. When he speaketh, he speaks of his own, for he is the father of all lies. Notice this. Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she gave it to Adam. And Adam and Eve found out themselves there is but a step between me and death. There is but a step between me and death. Eve took, and it was a step into death. She gave to Adam, and listen, Adam, don't blame me, for God gave it to you, the authority. He gave it to Adam, not to Eve. He should have said no. When he took it, he found out there was but a step between him and death. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. I want to break these down for a few moments before we go into our story. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. For by one man's offense, that is Adam's offense, in the garden. Death reigned by one man, through one man, through Adam. The idea of death reigned is it becomes like a living monarch, a ruler, a champion, a king over the sons of Adam, the daughters of Adam. It rules over us that none of us can miss the appointment that is set before us Whenever we take that step. However, that step takes us to that destination. Nevertheless, it's there. It's an appointed time. It is appointed on the man wants to die. And after this, the judgment. And we're told by Paul, he says, For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more. Now listen, I love those two words. Much more. 
Not the same as, or with almost the same strength as, or it isn't even just close to, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Oh, the abundance of the grace of God in the person of His lovely Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, friend. Here, it's not just grace, well, we'll be kind to you. It's abundance of grace. Oh, when I think of this rotten sinner you're listening to, and I think of the life he had, and I think of the things he did, and I think of the things he got up to, and I think of it in my mind, if the devil was allowed to whisper it to me enough, it would bring me back away back there when I was in the doldrums. And bring me back and shows me, oh, just how much grace it took to lift me out of the dunghill, to set me among princes, that we may inherit the throne of his glory. Oh, it's abundant grace, friend. It's not just, well, he's good to you. Yes, he's good. It's abundant goodness. The gift of righteousness is ours. We take the righteousness of Christ. He takes our sin. He takes on him Adam's nature, our old nature, and he takes our sin and our sicknesses in his own body on the tree, and he gives us his righteousness. Then he says this in verse 18, Therefore, by the offense of one, speaking of Adam, by the offense of one, listen, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Wow, this is, this is terrible. Judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 3, verses 16, 17, reading onwards. Listen to what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world, listen, to condemn the world, but in that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone's under condemnation. And many churches are afraid to tell people. You see, they think it's the evil javelin of the gospel to tell people of their sin. They think it's the evil javelin to spear hearts. In other words, you take away my joy to kill me. Friend, I want to tell you, this is not an evil javelin, but this is a javelin of God's love. It's of God's grace and mercy. Listen to this. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, here's the beautiful Jesus. By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men. Justification of life. Justification of life. Let me just tell you what it means, justification of life. It is the act of God Declaring someone free from the guilt of sin. I want to say it again, for there's more to add to it. Listen, 
It is the act of God. It's not what you do. It's not what you give. It's not what you can become. It doesn't matter what side of the community you come from. It doesn't matter where you said you're a Protestant or you said you're a Catholic. It doesn't matter who you are. It's all come upon all men like so. But the salvation can be yours. Salvation can be yours. Righteousness. Justification. It's the act of God. Sovereign act of the sovereign God. I'll say it again. It's a sovereign act of a sovereign God. It's him and the affairs of men and women. It is the act of God declaring someone free from the guilt of sin. God declaring someone free from the transgression or the breaking of his law. And so, they are now acceptable to him. Every single one of us, from this man here, from this man to the man and woman at the back, to the kids upstairs and the, uh, those in the crash and whoever else are there, every one of us were under condemnation. But God loved you. God gave you to his Son. God sent his only begotten into the world that he would die on an old rugged cross that he would hang and bleed and die on the tree of Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull. And he would shed his most precious blood. It was an act of God on your behalf. He loves you so much, he wants you with him. And only the man and woman who grasp hold of this by faith through the quickening of the Holy Ghost, only that man and woman who cry unto him are made acceptable with God. If you're not saved, here's what you'll think is an evil arrow or an evil javelin of the gospel. If you're not saved, you're not acceptable to him. We are made acceptable through the gospel. We are made acceptable through the doing and the dying of Jesus. And there's no other way. There's no other means. And there's no other method but through the precious blood that he shed in Calvary. Listen to what he says. Romans 5 and 19. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's disobedience. The word here for disobedience is actually, the word that's used here in the Greek New Testament is actually one of nine different words for sin in the New Testament. We have sin, we think, well, sin, sin. But really, there's nine different words used in the New Testament for sin. And this word here, it's a word, uh, parakoe. Para means alongside of, and koe means to hear. 
or akue means to hear and power alongside of. The Holy Spirit is known as the paraclete, or the paraclete, that's the one who comes alongside in order to help. The parables of Jesus were stories with heavenly meanings to throw down or to lay one to another in order to make a comparison with. And so we find the truths in the parables that Christ has taught through that. And parakue, it means to come alongside. It means to hear. The idea of it is this. It means that Adam was failing to listen when God had spoken. We know that God came down to Eden in the cool of the day. And when he came down to Eden in the cool of the day, he met with Adam. And the voice of the Lord walks along with Adam in the cool of the day. And as he's walking with him, he's speaking to him. He's saying, Adam, you can name the animals, Adam. And as he's doing all of this, he's having fellowship with God. And God comes and says, Now Adam, of all the trees that are in the garden, thou mayest freely eat thereof, but of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat us thereof. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He was alongside, as it were, Adam's ear, speaking to Adam, pointing it out. And Adam heard, but he didn't listen. That's the idea of it. And he disobeyed the word of the Lord. Adam was failing to listen when God had spoken. And so it says, as for one man, Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one. <laughs> There's not one of us could be obedient enough for him. Our depraved nature is this, that we are completely lost to our estate and unable to save ourselves. Well, by the obedience of one is the word hupa akeo. I think that's how you pronounce that one. And this is what it means. It gives the idea of a willing listener to authority. It means to come under submission and to be compliant with. It means to attentively listen in order to fully and correctly obey and carry out the order. Who's the one? Jesus. Jesus came, and he was a willing listener to the voice of his Father. He was a willing doer to the authority of God. And he came and he kept the law that I couldn't keep, and he lived a life that we couldn't live. And those who were broken from Adam's fall, and pointed out through Moses' law, and under condemnation, he kept it for us. And he says, I am the way, the truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father, but by me. What a Christ. What a Savior. In Romans 6 and 16. Listen to what Paul says about our lives. He says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. 
Now, the word obey is the same. Do you not know that those who become willing listeners and so drawn in to whom you listen, it's like the word servant is do loss. It's a, a slave of love. He says, they're your master. And because you love that person, because you love that thing, he says, that will rule your life. Rule over you. And Paul says, do you not realize that which is ruling over you? He's become your master. And you're obeying it, you're hearing it, and you're living in it, you're walking in it, and you're keeping it. To whom you yield yourselves to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. Listen, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Christian, in our lives, who is our master? Oh, Jesus is my master, is he? If he's not Lord over all, he's not Lord at all. Jesus is my master, is he? Really? Jesus, I serve you, do you? Really? Jesus, my heart is in love with you, is it? Really? I question myself. I question myself over these issues. Adam found out and he found out there is but one step between me and death. David found out there was one step between me and death, he says. And you and I must realize there is one life that will soon be passed. But it's only what's done for Christ will last. Here we find in our youth, in the strength of our days, in the fullness of our health, in the abundance of our possessions, and with our passion for life and living in the 21st century, the lie of the serpent from the Garden of Eden suddenly feeds our subconsciousness with the lie of immortality that ye shall not surely die. We live our lives like we Nor do we fully in our own hearts at times fully believe, for if we did, we would live every second for the service of the king. Now, that's not condemnation because I'm with you in that. Thank God for his abundance of grace. Thank God that every time I feel him, he picks me up. Yes, we might say someday, but not today. We're always at someone else's hospital bed, aren't we? Or we're always at someone else's sick bed, or we're always at someone else's death bed, or we're always at someone else's wake at their house visiting the mournful. We're, we're always at someone else's funeral. We're always standing at someone else's graveside. And listen... We're always looking at someone else's photo. Someone that we remember 
or when we really think about it, was as alive as you are that day. Whose breath was in their nostrils, whose heart beated in their body. Now they're gone. And I know many of you do that. I have lost nearly all my family. And I look at their photos regularly. And I think of them. And I see the life in some of the photographs. And I have the memories from some of the photographs. But they're gone. But what when it comes? My turn. I'd love to be able to think of it as that such a relationship we have with Christ that we could say as the hymn writer said, I love thee in life. I'll love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say, when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I have loved thee, my Jesus, it is now. There is but a step between me and death. The devil says, he shall not surely die. Proverbs 27 and 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Listen to James 4 and 15. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Notice, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But but now ye rejoice in your boastings. Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary says this. Ye boast in arrogant presumptions, namely vain Confident fancies that the future is always certain to you. And we're all guilty of that. Oh, there's going to be a time. There's going to be a time when I'll stand before Jesus. And I know I'm in grace. I know I'll be there. I'm assured of this, but I know this. When I see his face, I will wish that I served him better. That I give him more. I loved him with everything I had all the time. If the Lord will, we, sh- li- will, we shall live and do this or that. You who are struggling with life tonight, you who are alive, who's alive? I'm alive still. He's all alive, all right. Everyone went very quiet on me there. Very sobering, wasn't it? We're all alive, all right. Thank goodness for that. You who are alive today, listen, today, tonight, this evening, right now, in your seat, the Lord wills you to live. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. The Lord's willing for you to live. Your life is precious, so live it for God. 
Sometimes the alcoholic or the drug addict or the hopeless, the depressed, the rejected, the suicidal. I heard of another young man uh, not too far from here. I think there was one in maybe Portadown. And there's one in the Shankill in Belfast. The Shankill in Belfast who committed suicide this weekend. More young people. God wants you to live. Older and younger. He wants you to live for his glory. Precious to him. If the Lord will, we shall live. You're alive today because God wills you to live. So live for him. Live for him. There's wee babies in the womb. And mothers that feel they can't handle it and cope. Take them to the slaughterhouse. And I make no apology for that. Take them to the slaughterhouse of abortion clinic. And it's God's will that that wee one lives. So... We think of others who find there's a step between themselves and death. The man in Luke 12, you can read it when you go home. He has his barns building bigger to fit all his, his harvest in, the crops on his harvest. And he says, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods set up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But the Lord said unto him, thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And Lord he's saying, there is a step between the man and death. And he didn't even know it. The devil had planted the lie. Don't worry about getting right with God. Don't worry about living for God. You're never going to stand before him. It's never going to happen. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is righteousness. Eternal life, pardon me, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Turn with me to our reading. Five minutes on it and we'll close. That was my introduction. I've realized the time's gone. <laughs> See, from now on, I'm just going to write introductions and no sermon. I had an introduction this morning and I didn't get to the message either. First Samuel chapter 20. Notice the exclamation of David. But truly as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. What happened, David? What happened? What gave you the wake-up call? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, just two verses if you want to turn to it. David is playing with his harp. An evil spirit from God, it's how it says, comes upon Saul, and he's, he's tormented by this thing. And David plays on his harp, and old Saul being jealous because they were crying after battle. Saul is a slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands, and the old Saul was angry at him. How dare he take my glory? Oh, jealousy came. And so while David's playing with the harp, Saul has his javelin in his hand, he's on up, David, the evil javelin. 
Brother or sister, can I tell you something? See when you're doing well for God. Don't be too discouraged when people come against you and try and pin you to the wall with something. Because it's jealousy. Don't let it get you down. Press on and keep your eyes on Christ. Notice what happens here. For Samuel 18, verse 10 and 11. It came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hands as at other times and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided it out of his presence twice. One step. The javelin comes and David's, there's another one. There was one step between David and death. The young warrior who slays his ten thousands, the evil spirit, came because of Saul's jealousy and opened a door for evil. He prophesied in the midst of the house. Listen to what Matthew Henry says on this. Saul pretended the gestures and the motions of a prophet and humored the thing well enough to decoy David into a snare that he might be fearless of any danger and off his guard. And he says, I'm going to pretend that I'm prophesying. It was an evil spirit. God removed himself and the evil spirit came. And old Saul says, I'm going to prophesy. And he starts to prophesy as though it's from God. I'm going to lure David. And oh, these are the things of God. I love these. Tell me more. But David had the discernment of the Spirit. And when the javelin, that evil javelin was thrown, there was one step between him and death, but there was one step between him and life. Saul cast a javelin to smite David to the wall. And David, not only there, later when you go home, we have in time, if you read chapter 19, verses 8 to about 10, 12, it happens a second time. One step, one breath, one heartbeat, one accident, one act of evil by some crazy maniac. One wrong decision, one wrong move, and there is but a step between us all and death. Some think this gospel is hard, it's cruel, it's fearful, it must be evil, you're terrible, bringing me a message as such. Truthfully, David's seen that and then realized what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. He woke up. He woke up. He says, here. God is on my side. He's warned me of this man. He's told me all about it. And there's a step, but a step between me and death. But there is but a step between David and life. Brother, sister, see with this word? There is but a step between you and death. But there's also, friend, a step between you and life. Get close to Christ. Get close to Christ. This so-called evil javelin 
If truth be told, I've been throwing javelins at you all night. You think they're hard and they're evil, but they're really javelins of love, javelins of warning, javelins to challenge you, to bless you, that Christ would be exalted.